going to turn to our Bibles. If you're following in the Pew Bible, it's page 152. Um, we're continuing Numbers, Numbers chapter 15. We're coming towards the end of, of the series. We've just got a couple of weeks left after this one, uh, but we're still in the middle of the book, um, so there'll be a few things that we jump over in the next couple of weeks, but, but we're there, Numbers chapter 15, uh, verse 22 is where we're going to pick it up from, uh, and we're going to re- read through until the, the end of the chapter, verse 41. Um, and there's a couple of different things happening in here, some things that are not always comfortable to read, And you wonder why God would put them in the Bible, but they're there um, for a purpose, and we'll think about that this morning. Uh, So Numbers chapter 15, uh, picking up at verse 22. Now, if you unintentionally fail to keep any of these commands the Lord gave Moses, any of the Lord's commandments to you through him, from the day the Lord gave them and continuing through the generations to come, And if this is done unintentionally, without the community being aware of it, then the whole community is to offer a young bull for a burnt offering as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, along with its prescribed grain offering and drink offering and a male goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement for the whole Israelite community and they will be forgiven, for it was not intentional and they have brought to the Lord for their wrong an offering made by fire and a sin offering." The whole Israelite community and the aliens living among them will be forgiven because all the people were involved in the unintentional or wrong. But if just one person sins unintentionally, he must bring a year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally whether it's a native-born Israelite or an alien. But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or alien, blasphemes the Lord, and that person must be cut off from his people because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. That person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. While the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, You are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commandments and I will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. We end our reading there. We thank God for that word. Let us pray. Loving God, may your your blessing be upon us as we think about that word that we have read. words that you have given to to a nation that existed in another time and another place, so distant from ourselves. 
but your living word that speaks truth to us even today. Even the uncomfortable bits. Loving God, may we not be dismissive of it, but may we rather allow your word to speak to us, to study us, to teach us about ourselves and about you, so that we can draw closer to you, so that we can recognize that your ways are important and that they bring life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes, sometimes in the Old Testament we can maybe gloss over some of the things. Maybe we can read it and, and dismiss it and move on to something else because maybe we see it as not relevant to us or, or maybe talking as I prayed to, to a different people of a different time in a different place. And, and sometimes when we, when we think about the way Jesus speaks to the Pharisees uh, in the Gospels, um, his criticism of, of how they use the law so rigidly um, in a controlling way that we can quite easily get the impression that, that living under the law uh, was hard, um, that it was all about trying to live a rigid life that, that lacked any real experience of God, any real experience of God's love and his grace and his mercy. But this passage seems to suggest otherwise. When I read this passage, which, which let's be honest, this passage gets uncomfortable in places. There, there, there is a section in this passage that we read and we, and, and we wonder what it's there for. Why is that um, in, in, in God's word? But we shouldn't wash over uh, those awkward, uncomfortable passages in scripture. We shouldn't be dismissive uh, of them. They're there because the Holy Spirit has inspired the writer to put them there. Um, and so they've got to be there to teach us some truth that is important to us. But when I read this passage, what I see in this passage is God's grace and God's mercy, God's justice and God's love sitting alongside one another. When we read the passage, it's quite easily divided into four sections. As we read through there, you could quite pick up quite easily. There's four different things happening in this passage. And I want to briefly look at each of those four sections. I say briefly, we all know that's not true. Um, I want to look at these, um, these four sections um, and, and think about what does it mean for us uh, as, as followers of Jesus. Um, and, and, and for you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're somebody who is, who is interested in trying to work out is this the path for me to take? Um, what is this saying to us? I will say that I, I did mean briefly when I wrote this um, originally, but, but I, know, I know what's out here, um, what's still coming. Um, the first section, the first section starts at verse 22, goes on to verse 29. It's, it's about God talking about unintentional sin. Um, when mistakes are made, uh, that, that puts someone in, in opposition to, to God, to, to God's way, to God's expectation of his people. And, and in that bit there, God acknowledges that sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we make mistakes. Uh, and, and he also says that when we make those mistakes, that he will forgive us when we make those mistakes. Um, he, he explains that there are sacrifices uh, that need to be made when we make those mistakes so that we can be forgiven. And, and there, there, there's, there's two different types of sacrifices that happen. There's sacrifices that happen when, when, when sin happens unintentionally amongst a, a group of people, a community of people, um, or when sin happens unintentionally by, by a single person. 
But regardless of which it is, God recognizes, most importantly, that mistakes happen. Um, and in his grace and in his mercy, he forgives us those mistakes. But there's two things in that section that I, that I, would, that I want us to take note of. Um, the first is this, is that even though it's something that's happened unintentionally, even though it's a mistake, God still sees it as sin. God still sees it as sin, whether it's something that has been done intentionally or, or done by mistake, it is still sin uh, and, and, and still needs to be forgiven. When it comes to mistakes, we, we tend to have double standards, don't we? When we make a mistake, it's just a mistake. I didn't mean it. Anyone can make mistakes, I'm only human. But, but when somebody else makes the mistake, oh my word, the drama that can come out of that. Stop the press. They didn't even say sorry. All they said was, oh, mistakes happen. Yes, God says, mistakes happen. But sin, whether it's intentional or not, still needs to be forgiven. And God says, here is what you need to do to receive that forgiveness. And that's the second thing that I want to bring out. Yes, mistakes happen, but they are still sinful and they still need to be forgiven. And when God says, this is how you need to get that forgiveness, he explains to them the whole routine of, of bringing an animal for sacrifice, which means that the people of Israel, when they sinned, whether intentional or not, they had to be intentional about the forgiveness they were seeking. They couldn't be dismissive of that. They had to be intentional. They had to go and find the right animal and bring it for sacrifice. Now fortunately, we don't need to bring animals for sacrifice anymore, but 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We also need to be intentional about seeking forgiveness from God. God is a graceful God, he is a merciful God, and he will forgive us, but we need to come to him and acknowledge that we have sinned, that we have made a mistake, and he is just and loving and merciful, and he will forgive us. God is a gracious God, and God is a merciful God. When we make mistakes and we get it wrong, he forgives. But then God contrasts this unintentional sin with something um, that, is, that he refers to as a sin of defiance, or, or in some translations you might have um, a, a presumptuous sin. Directly translated from the Hebrew, it would be a high-handed sin. And that's talking about something that is done in defiance and, and rebellion uh, against God. When I think of, of, of something being high-handed and an act of defiance and rebellion, um, I, I picture two men, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico, uh, and they stepped up on the podium uh, to receive their medals, and in defiance and as an act of rebellion, they raised their fists. Now, in no way, in no way am I saying that what they were doing was a sin. In fact, what they were doing was an act of defiance and rebellion against the sin of racial injustice and racism that existed in America. Uh, that was an act of defiance, but, but the defiance behind it is what we're talking about here. A high-handed act of defiance, a fist raised at God and saying, I'm rebelling and being defiant against your ways. That's what God is talking about here about intentionally sinning against God 
in rebelling against God, of rejecting God and God's ways. And God does not tolerate defiance against him. God does not tolerate rebellion against him. The world is different. The world is different in the culture that we live in, people who go intentionally against God's ways, who intentionally rebel against God, are often praised and rewarded for doing that. And the one thing that springs to mind, immediately to mind, is think about the debate around abortion. Think about the debate around abortion. Think about which side of that debate society praises and which side of that debate society vilifies. God is a God of justice, so when we unintentionally make a mistake, when we unintentionally step out of line of God's ways, one of the, the, one of the translations of that, that word that, that is translated to unintentional is, is to sway. Um, think of, think of uh, well, when we, we were living in Cookstown, we lived on the main street, there was a nightclub um, down the road from us, we saw a lot of people swaying as they came along on their way home. Um, but that's, that's what the word is referring to, of, of, of that um, being under the influence of something else that leads us away from God's way. Uh, but God forgives and brings us back. Um, he's a God of justice. He is willing to forgive us when we unintentionally make mistakes. But if we intentionally rebel against him, if we raise our fist at him and said, I'm not doing it your way, God, I'm doing it my way, then God treats people like that in a different way. Those who, def- who defiantly and openly rebel against God, there is no place for them amongst God's people because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands, we read. They must surely be cut off and their guilt remains on them. There is no forgiveness for those who are defiant and rebel against God. And then in verse 32 to 36, we get this uncomfortable story. We get this example of an act of a sin of defiance. Clearly, this man hadn't done this by mistake. He hadn't forgotten what day it was and accidentally gone out and collected wood and thought, I've been so busy this week, I don't even know what day of the week it is. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. The people of Israel knew about the law of the Sabbath. This man knew about the law of the Sabbath. They knew what was there was there to provide them rest that they needed before they moved into the busyness of the week and the work that lay ahead of them. But it was also there because it was setting aside a day that recognized, not that the day is holy, but that the God who blessed them with that day is holy. It was recognizing that there's nothing that I can do that's more important today than acknowledge God. But this man decides otherwise. He's effectively thumbing his nose at God. He is saying that God is not holy, God is not sovereign. My rights, my rights are far more important than God's law. My right to collect firewood on this day is far more than God's expectation of me to acknowledge him as holy and this day as a day that he has set aside for me. And so by rejecting God's law, he rejects God. And as harsh as the story is, as difficult as the story is, the important truth that this story teaches us is that those who reject God are only destined for death. There is no life for those who reject God. That is the only thing that the world can promise them. Death and taxes, but death. Death is the only promise, the only guaranteed outcome for people who live according to the way of the world and reject God's way. But those who choose to live within the law, 
Those who choose to follow the law will experience God's grace and mercy. And those who choose to live outside of the law, who choose their own way rather than God's way. It sounds a bit like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Choose their own way rather than God's way, which leads to death. That is the truth that we learn from this story. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus tells us that. He's he's come to fulfill the law. And so when we think about what happens there and we think about people living within the law, following the law and choosing not to follow the law, we can replace the word the law with Jesus and we get the same important truth shared with us. Those who choose to follow Jesus will experience life and grace and mercy that only God offers. But there is no place in the kingdom for those who choose to reject God. There is no eternal life. There is only death and exclusion from God's eternal kingdom for those who reject God, who reject Jesus, who who openly rebel against what it means to be a follower of Jesus and saying, I'm going to do things my way, not his way. I remember saying in one of our Bible focuses a couple of maybe a month ago, that we were talking about the end times and we were saying, when the end times come, when Jesus comes, at the end of time, everybody gets what they want. If you want Jesus, you get Jesus. If you want to reject Jesus, you don't get Jesus. You either are in the kingdom, which is what, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you want to be, or you are outside of the kingdom, which is what those people who reject Jesus um, essentially saying that they want. They don't want to be part of his kingdom and follow his ways. But here's the thing. God is a God of love and God doesn't want people to be outside of the kingdom. God doesn't want people to spend eternity apart from him. He wants them to follow his ways. He wants them to choose him and so he does something to make it possible for people to come into that relationship with him and stay in that relationship with him. What we, what we read here is that in that last section is that he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take little blue tassels, I want you to tie them onto your clothing. So every time you look at them, you remember. You remember who I am, you remember what you're supposed to do to stay in a good relationship with me. You remember what you mustn't do. You remember what the consequences are of of stepping outside and and being rebellious against me. You remember all those things. Tie them to your clothes. Look at them, remember. The the only reason he chooses blue is because blue was a color in the wilderness, was associated with, with holiness and the law. The Ark of the Covenant that contained the law was covered in a blue cloth. If you went into the tabernacle, there were blue curtains. The high priest had blue on his robes. So that blue was a reminder to them when they saw it was, don't forget God, don't forget his rules. Let me make sure that I'm doing right. And that's particularly helpful when they were in a place of temptation. To be able to look at that and go, no, I'm a child of God. I'm not a child of this world. I follow God's ways, not the ways of the world. My identity is not in the sin that I'm being tempted to commit my identity is that I'm one of God's people. And God shows the same love to us. He shows the same love to us. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And those who are found, he wants us to stay found. 
Now, we don't have tassels to remind us. We don't have to attach things to our clothing that we look at um, so that we can see uh, and be reminded that, that we are following God. We are following Jesus. Jesus has taught us things, and we need to do things that Jesus teaches us. We have something better. We have something better than little tassels tied to us. We have God in us. We have God living in us, reminding us and speaking to us. In John 15, verse 26, Jesus tells these disciples that that after he has left them, he will send a helper, um, a a companion. In, in, In the Amplified Bible, one of the words it uses is a strengthener. Jesus says, this is the spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. When we receive Jesus in our lives as followers of Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what we need to do. It, it, it reminds us of the things that we should know about being a follower of Jesus. It teaches us the things that we're still learning about being a follower of Jesus, and it helps us to understand what is happening around us. He leads us into truth, which is really helpful because we are often surrounded by a swirl of noises and lies that we're trying to make sense of, and the Holy Spirit is there to lead us into truth. And so rather than having something attached to our clothing to remind us what we should and shouldn't do, we have a voice of the Spirit speaking to us, of encouraging us and remind us, gently encouraging us to keep doing the things that are right in God's eyes. We have a dog at home called Ernie. There are two things that Ernie cannot stand. One is visitors, which is really awkward, although for some reason he likes Clifford. I'm not sure what that's about, but we'll, we'll get him right still. But, but he doesn't like visitors, and the other thing he doesn't like is birds. He, he sits in our front room and he watches outside the window and he watches the birds land on, on the roof on the houses opposite us, and then he starts getting stressed. And then as soon as they fly away, Ernie is off to the back door, Barking, barking like anything, because he just wants to get in the backyard to make sure that they've not flown off to land in our backyard, and he goes nuts. And it's annoying. Boy, is it annoying when Ernie goes off. We have two options. Scream and shout at him, which, which doesn't work, although we've still not learned that lesson. Um, shout at Ernie to, to shut up, to be quiet, to stop it, to calm down. But this morning, this morning when I was up, Nobody else was up yet, and, and, and Ernie was up, and obviously there must have been birds up because he came flying through from the front room to the kitchen where I was busy making coffee, and he was at that door, and he was going nuts. And I had an option, scream and shout at him and disturb everybody, but I decided, no, let me just come alongside him and gently remind him, and I stroked him, and I patted him, I said, come on, Ernie, don't do that, and he eventually calmed down. He still gets all stressed out, and he follows you around the kitchen expecting you to give him something now, but, but it just calmed him down. And that is, what, that is what the Holy Spirit is like. Comes alongside us and just reminds us, no, don't do that. Don't behave in that way. Come back to, to where you need to be. Let's, let's calm down, let's refocus and let's settle. That is the voice of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gently encouraging us in our walk with Jesus. But more than that, more than just having the Holy Spirit to, to encourage us and to remind us we have something else We have the strength of the Spirit in us. Because it's not always easy to calm down. It's not always easy to bring ourselves back on the right path. It's not always easy for us to say, okay, I'm not gonna do that. As exciting as it looks, as tempting as it might be, sometimes in our weakness, we go that way anyway. 
But with the Holy Spirit in us, we have the strength to overcome that temptation. With the Holy Spirit in us, we have the strength that we could never have on our own to resist the temptation. God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. In his love, in the Father's love, he calls us to him. Through the Son, he saves us. And through the Holy Spirit, he sustains us in this life so that we can be sure of the promises that he has told us is there waiting for us. And so God, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love, who sees us, who recognizes that sometimes we're gonna make mistakes, but he's willing to forgive us if we recognize those mistakes and we, and we come to him in forgiveness. He is a God of justice who says that, that there is only a place in my kingdom for those who want to be in my kingdom. And if you're gonna be openly rebellious against me, if you're gonna be openly rejecting of me, then that's okay, but there's no place for you here. And so those people find themselves outside of the kingdom. And he is a God who wants us, who loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be led astray. And so he sends his spirit to live in us, to be our guide and our comforter and our strength. And then one last thing, very conscious that this passage takes place as the Israelites are journeying through the wilderness. They're in a place where there is no beauty and no life and nothing to sustain them. And perhaps that's where you're at right now. Perhaps this is the journey that you run and things are hard and tough and difficult right now. This passage reminds you that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who is merciful and gracious towards you. There is a God who also wants to say to you, you might not think things are working out that well right now, and you might think that following me is a waste of time. But he is reminding us what awaits those who choose to step away from God and do things their way. The temptation might be there to say, where is the benefit in me following Jesus right now? What am I getting out of this? This passage reminds us that what we're getting out of this is so much greater than this world could ever offer us. Because ultimately, whatever good this world offers us, whatever pleasure, whatever joy and happiness this world offers us is only temporary. The only thing that guaranteed from this world is death. But God offers us life. Life eternal, life abundant. So hold on. Don't let go because God's not letting go of you. Walk with him. Stay with him. We also have a cat. Um, our cat tends to wake us up, or it tends to wake me up in the middle of the night because it just wants company. Because we have a dog, it never goes out during the day, so it's got to go out at night. I'm the sucker um, that it wakes up. Woke me up a couple of times last night, so if I look tired, that's the reason. Um, every time I woke up, there was a song in my head I could not shake. And so I want to read you some of those words of that song because I'm thinking that song's for us today. Maybe it's for someone here today. We sang it in, in, in Cafe Explore on, on, on Wednesday evening, and I kept waking up with this, the, this line, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. 
If you're in the wilderness right now, if you're struggling with things, if you're trying to make sense of things, then I want to speak the name of Jesus over you this morning. I want to say to you, don't let go of him. If you're trying to make sense of life and you haven't, you haven't received him yet, then I want to say the name of Jesus to you today. Because that song goes on to say that his name is healing. Your name is, your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. And if you want to experience that, it is through the name of Jesus. Hold fast onto that name. Pursue that name and never let it go. Whether it's in the wilderness or whether it's in the valleys, whether it's on the mountaintops or on green pastures and around refreshing waters, it's always the name of Jesus that carries us through and that we can find joy and peace and love and rest no matter what we're going through right now. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your name that is above every other name, the only name by which we are saved, the only way by which we come to the Father and his kingdom. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We cling to that. And so God, whatever we are going through now, whether we are sitting here or we are at home watching this online, whatever that it is that we are struggling with and finding hard, and I think particularly those people, Lord, that are watching online this morning that are maybe finding it difficult to pick themselves up and come here and meet with us on a Sunday morning. There might be very good reasons, Lord, there might be very good reasons that it's difficult for them to leave their home. But if all that's keeping them from us is is maybe just feeling that I'm not ready yet to be with God's people, then I'm saying to you now that is the time to be with God's people. You are a God who brings us into a community and you are a God who loves us through that community. And may we hold fast to that, the God of grace, the God of love and the God of mercy, your amazing grace that sets us free, that saves us, that sustains us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our final song, Amazing Grace.